0: Hi, this is Brad Bright with the God is the Issue podcast where we seek to make God the issue in every issue. Today we're going to be talking about how to beat the haters. And just as a reminder, if you find this podcast helpful, help us get the word out by subscribing it and liking it. You know, there's a lot of hate going around in America these days. And there is enough for both sides to to take some of the blame. But, you know, radicals vandalizing pro-life centers, children shooting children, white supremacists vomiting hate, angry blacks spewing hate in response, uh, trans folks who advocate vengeance upon those who disagree with them, self-righteous Christians who condemn pagans for simply acting like pagans. Politicians calling people fascists, Nazis, racists, misogynists, or deplorables. College students attacking visiting speakers that they don't like. There's plenty of blame to go around, and we see it every day, don't we? But what is the solution? Better question is what is God's solution? More laws? More programs? More strategies? More preachers? More churches? No, none of those. God's solution is you god gave you the power to be the solution god gave you the power to change the course of history and yes i literally mean the course of history i'll bet you no one has ever told you that and i'll bet you if they've they have i'll bet you they've never told you how that's going to end today i don't care whether you're white or black or brown or green i don't care if you're the president of the united states a janitor if you're a Ph.D. or a waitress, your skin color and your day job makes absolutely no difference. Do you know how Christianity ultimately came to dominate the Roman Empire? You've probably heard it was through the preaching of the gospel. That's what I used to think. That's what most Christians think. But if that's what you think, you're wrong. It spread relationally. It spread virally. It spread person to to person. According to uh, Tim Keller, a preacher himself, he said, quote, the gospel was spread in the early church by personal conversations and life examples, not through programs, not even through preachers. And that's a preacher making that comment. You see, what Tim understood and, and a handful of people really understand is that God's solution for secular culture is You, but in under able to understand how you are the solution, we must go back to the beginning where Jesus first gave us God's strategy in Matthew nineteen, Matthew twenty nine verses eighteen through twenty. Jesus said, "All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you." So let's ask some simple questions to unpack this. Most of us have heard that passage who knows how many times in church. But let's unpack it. Who was Jesus talking to? He was talking to his disciples. And what did he tell them to do? He told them to go and make more disciples. And how were they supposed to do that? They were supposed to do that through baptizing and then teaching, quote, Everything I have commanded you. And what did he just command them to do? He commanded them to go make disciples. In other words, every true disciple of Jesus is a discipler. They're not a they're not a, a reservoir for holding truth. They're a conduit for spreading truth. You see, every disciple of Jesus is to be a discipler who disciples disciples to be disciplers. Did you catch that? Let me say it one more time. Every disciple of Jesus is a discipler who disciples disciples to be disciplers. The goal is not to create just a disciple. The goal is to create a discipler who is a conduit of the message. I call this process disciplership. Rather than just discipleship, I call it disciplership to remind myself that we're to be conduits, not reservoirs. See, discipleship, according to Jesus, is multiplication. That is God's strategy. You know, but let's look at an example of what this looks like in the book of Acts. And in Acts 19, verses 9 and 10, you know, Paul's at Ephesus, and I'm going to read this. It says, Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. So Paul left them. He took the disciples with him and had daily discussion, that is, training, mentoring, discipleship, whatever you want to call that, had daily discussion in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for two years so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. Now what you need to understand about Ephesus, Ephesus is the second largest city in the Roman Empire at the time. It sat on the main trade route stretching from Rome to China. But it didn't just sit astride, astride that trade route. It was the choke point on that trade route where every one thing went from land to sea. Basically, think of Ephesus as the New York City, the financial center of the day. It was located in the province of Asia, which is basically, think Turkey today. It was the, And the province was the size of the state of Connecticut. Now, let's unpack this, okay? For three months, Paul preached the gospel. Then for two years, he had daily discussions in the school of Tyrannus. Daily discussions, what's that mean? He was discipling. He was discipling them or mentoring them or coaching them, whatever you want to call it. So he probably read the scriptures. probably is some lecture. But then Paul would ask questions like, well, what does it say? And, and what does it mean? Or what does it teach you about God? What should you do about it? And who should you tell? Because, again... The gospel is never meant just to change our lives. The gospel is intended to pass through us to others. But here is the key. Here's the key. When you see Paul sat in Ephesus for two years and every Jew and every Greek in the entire province of Asia heard the gospel. How did that happen? Paul never left. There weren't phones. There wasn't internet there, there weren't satellites, there weren't trains, planes, automobiles for him to travel and speak on the weekend. No, he sat and discipled. And then those disciples went out through all of the province of Asia until everyone had heard the Lord, heard, heard the gospel over a two-year period. But now this is the key. It didn't just stop in Asia, did it? It kept spreading virally person to person, until by 300 A.D., the city of Rome was two-thirds Christian, and the Roman Empire by 350 A.D. was 52% Christian. By 380 A.D., the politicians do what they always did. They put their finger in the air, and they realized, okay, the city of Rome is huge majority Christian, and the empire is Christian as well. So what we're going to do is we're going to proclaim it the Holy Roman empire. Now that was the worst thing that ever happened to the church in in my view, but it shows you the power of how Christianity spread. Now here's the most telling element of all. By the year 400 AD, when when we walk through the graveyards of the Roman empire, and this is where the rich and the famous, the intelligentsia, the, the powerful, this is where they were buried. Now here's what you find a majority had Christian names. You see, when a person became a Christian, they took on a Christian name. But now here is the critical fact, and it tells you a lot about how Christianity spread. Remember I said a majority buried in the graveyards were Christian? 50% of the men were Christian. What percentage of the women do you think were Christian? 85%. 85% 85% of the women buried in those graveyards were Christian. What does that begin to give you a clue about of how the gospel spread? What are women instinctively good at that, that men have to work at? Building relationships. Women do it naturally. God equipped women to naturally build relationships. They're driven to build relationships, and he used that dynamic in women as the primary means of, of spreading the gospel. So guys, we can do it too, but we just have to work work harder at it. So does that give you a pretty strong hint as to how to turn America back to God? Now guys, don't use that as an excuse to say the women should do it. No, you have to do it too. You just have to work harder to build, be intentional about building relationships while the women will do it naturally. It's not through preaching. Not everybody can preach, right? It's through relationships. Everyone can build relationships. Now, that's what's going on in the nation of China today. There's 1.4 billion Chinese. There's over 90 million members of the Communist Party, but there's over 100 million Christians. There's already more Christians in China today than there are members of the Communist Party. And at the current rate, by the year 2030, there'll be 250 million Christians. By the year 2040, there'll be 625 million Christians, more than the entire population of the United States. And by 2050, China will be a majority Christian nation, according to the current trends going on there. Now what's the application of all this? The application is it's not your pap pastor's job to reach your neighborhood for Jesus Christ. Whose job is it? It's yours. It's mine. But let's talk about what this looks like so you can see actually how the process works. If you introduce one person to Jesus Christ this year and then mentor him for the next year so they know how to introduce someone to someone else to Christ and they know how to walk with God, to the point where they can train someone a year from now. The next year, each of you both go lead someone to Christ, and each of you then mentor that person so that by the end of the second year, there's four people. By the end of the third year, there's eight people. By the end of the fourth year, there's 16 people. How many years, when you're doubling like this, will it take you to reach the entire United States for Jesus Christ? It'll take 28 years. 28 years. That's within the lifetime of most of us. But let me ask you a question. Say a thousand people started doing that today. How many years would it take to reach the United States for Jesus Christ and disciple all those people? It would take 18 years. My point is, it can happen in your lifetime. For most of us, it can happen in our lifetime. See, in Ephesus, Ephesus, it all began with Paul training his disciples. So my question for you is, have you ever been trained? You, you don't have to be an expert, but just have you been trained in how to how to how to introduce someone to Christ and how to do basic discipleship, basic mentoring, basic coaching with them over the next year? Now if not, I'm going to make a suggestion at the end of this podcast about how you can begin to make sure you're equipped to move into that process. You see the problem in America is not that there's too much darkness. It's not that there are too many haters. The problem is there's not enough light, and that's where you and I come in. Do you want to change America, or at least help change America? You can do it if you do it the way Jesus commanded. You see, God's solution for hate is you. However, there's a problem. Unlike the federal government, you can't give away what you don't own. You see, Jesus promised us his joy and his peace. He promised it. So if that's not part of your normal daily experience, then one of two things is true. Either Jesus lied or you missed something. And you see, if that's not your experience, then you can't give that experience away to someone else either. So let me ask you three simple questions. And, and think of these as a mirror for you to look into, self-evaluate, okay? The first question is, Do you have problems? Do you ever have problems? I mean, honestly, you look at your life, would you say that you have problems or that you have had problems or you will probably have problems? Either yes or no. Second question is, do you believe God loves you? And the third question is, do you believe God is all-powerful? Now then, if you answered yes to all three of these questions, let me ask you, if God loves you and he is all-powerful and he's right here with you right now, How is it that you have problems? Let me unpack that a little bit. How much does God love you? Does he love you so much that if he had to, he'd take the bullet for you? Well, yeah, that was the point of Jesus coming to earth. He took the bullet for us. Why? Because he loved us passionately, passionately, even when we didn't deserve it. He still loved us so much that he was willing to take the bullet for us. Second question is, is how powerful is God? Is God powerful enough to do anything he wants? But let's ask a little more uh, of an application question here. Is God powerful enough to do anything he needs to do in our lives to conform us to the image of Christ? And now let's ask the question where the rubber meets the road. This is the critical question. Is God powerful? powerful enough to do anything in our lives that he needs to do in order to conform us to the image of Christ whether we fully cooperate or not because reality is we all we're, we all have a sinful nature right it's there and we sin so we're not fully cooperating are we so does god have the power does he have the power to conform us to the image of christ even when we don't fully cooperate either he does Or he doesn't. And if he doesn't, then he's not all-powerful. So here's the point. The God who loves me passionately, who has all power, who is with me here right now. If all those things are true, how is it that I have problems? Let me tell you a story. Shortly after I graduated from college, I was sitting in my dad's office as a reporter from a Christian magazine came to interview him. And most of the questions were pretty boilerplate until the, the reporter asked this question. He said, Dr. Bright, share with me a problem you face that the average Christian can relate to. And my dad said, I don't have any problems. The reporter was trying to be respectable, but he was clearly a little frustrated. And he said, Dr. Bright, please don't over-spiritualize this. We-, we all have problems. And he proceeded to ask the question seven times, seven different ways, trying to get my dad to admit he had problems. And finally, my dad leaned forward. And he said this, and I'll never forget. He said, I'm a slave of Jesus. It is not the slave's responsibility to be successful. The only responsibility of the slave is to do what the master asks him to do. And when you understand what that means, you understand you don't have problems. You only have opportunities to see the master work. And I went, oh, because I realized at that moment, my dad wasn't talking out of his head. That was not a statement from his intellect. That was a statement from his gut. I realized he believed that to the core of his being. He believed he didn't have problems, only opportunity to see God work. And I realized as a son, I look back over all the years of living in the same household with him. I realized that was his secret. It's why I never saw him get stressed out about things. In fact, he was, he was one of the hardest working guys I ever met and ever knew. He only slept two to three hours a night for 50 years. And I think it's because he didn't use up a lot of nervous energy. He was always at rest inside. And, you know, a few years before he passed away, he made this statement. He said, you know, we can trace all our human problems to our view of God. We can trace all our human problems to our view of God. So let me ask you, if you get a flat tire, is that a problem? A friend of mine in Phoenix says, whenever he gets a flat tire, he immediately starts looking around to see who it is God wants him to talk with. That's a man who realizes he doesn't have problems. He only has opportunities to see the master work. So let me ask you, do you have problems or do you have opportunities to see God work? What makes the difference in how you answer that question? It's your view of God and your focus at that moment you see and i want you to listen very carefully here because this is this is the critical element either your circumstances will determine how you see god or your view of god will determine how you see your circumstances let me repeat that either your circumstances will determine how you see god or your view of god will determine how you see your circumstances. And in any given situation, it will be one or the other. Do you know what the primary purpose of the Bible is? I mean, I've heard people say, well, it's to to show us the way of salvation or to show us how to live. And, And both of those things are in the Bible. But those aren't the primary purpose of the Bible. The primary purpose of the Bible is to teach us Who God is. You see, it's in the pages of scriptures that God reveals to us who he is. God reveals himself to us. Now, if you've never done a study on the character and nature of God, which we call the attributes of God, let me strongly encourage you to do so, and preferably to do it with a friend. Now, a friend or a few friends. Why? Because what did Paul do in the school of Tyrannus? Did he lecture? Well, probably a little, little bit. Mostly it was discussion. That is how the, the early believers learned, and that's how Paul discipled them, how he mentored them, how he coached them. So I would encourage you to do that with a friend. And, and fo- folks, ask the soul what questions. Ask the hard questions. Why do I even want God to be holy? I mean, if God is holy, is there any hope for me, really? Because I know I'm not, right? Apart from the blood of Jesus, I'm not. And why do I want God to be perfectly just? Wouldn't it be better, if kind of, if more, better and, and fairer if God graded on a curve? Those are legitimate questions, but there are good answers to those questions. But you need to dig in, ask those questions, and get the answers from Scripture. And the Bible says that God is love, right? What does it even mean when it says God is love? What does that really mean? Now, folks, why do I recommend you do that? Because here, here's reality. You can't fix yourself. I know you can't because I tried to fix myself and it didn't work. But let me tell you what you can fix. And if you'll fix it, you'll wake up in the near future and go, I've changed. Fix your view of God. Fix your view of God. See, you, you, I don't believe you can come on to understand who God is in a deeper way and not change in response. So the question is, where do you start? Now, a lot of you probably have a book on the attributes of God sitting on your bookshelf. It's probably been there 10 years, 15, 20 years, and you've never opened it. Open it. Start reading it, but don't do it alone. Do it with at least one other friend, if not a group of friends. Now, if you don't have any books on the attributes of God, my dad wrote one on the attributes of God before he passed away. It's entitled, God, Who Are You Anyway? And it's very much about Application of asking the so what questions. Now, some books are more intellectual, some books are more application oriented. My dad's book is very application oriented. It will help you engage in this process. And I encourage you to order a copy either on Amazon or you can go to brightmedia.org. That's brightmedia.org. But I encourage you to read through it and discuss it with at least one other person, if not a small group of people, probably no more than five or six, because you want everybody to be able to participate. You see, talking through it with others helps you to kick the tires. And again, remember remember, Paul at the School of Tyrannus. They had daily discussion. That is how Paul did discipleship, did mentorship, did coaching. Again, whatever term you want to use to describe it. And I have one favor to ask. After you've gone through that process, I would love to hear from you. Just go to brightmedia.org and just kind of tell us What's changed in your life? What difference has that made in your life? And let me leave you with one more story. A number of years ago, I was at a meeting and this guy walked up to me. It turns out he was an attorney. And he said, Brad, I've been a very successful attorney, but I've made a mess of my life. And I let him talk for a minute or two and I finally said, okay, okay. You have made a mess of your life. I agree. You've made a mess of your life, but you don't have to stay there. And I gave him my dad's book on the attributes of God. I said, go through this with your new bride. And if you really go through this with a heart to learn more about who God is, I promise you'll you wake up in the near future and go, I've changed. Well, I didn't see him for about six months. And six months later, I was at a meeting and sitting there. And halfway through the meeting, he comes walking in quietly, and he just sits right down next to me. At the first break, he turns to me. And, folks, he is Beaming from ear to ear. And I'm thinking, this guy has changed. And he said, Brad, your dad's book has changed my life. Now, it wasn't the book that changed his life. What changed his life was a deeper understanding of who God is. And he had changed in response. I wish the same for you. You are God's solution. You are God's solution to hate. Remember Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind and all your soul and love your neighbor as yourself. If you do that, you are the solution. If you have found this podcast helpful, please share it with someone else who could benefit from it as well because remember, We're not repositories of truth, we're channels of truth, we're channels of God's love. Remember, God is the issue in every issue.